You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. If you will, please stand with me. As we stand on the solid rock of God's word, we find ourselves here in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll look here at verses 1 through 4. Let's hear the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He begins by saying, Beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. The title of our sermon today is A Father Who Sees in Secret. And today, as we think about what it means to give to the most needy, we need to remember that the spirit of the gift is crucial and key. That's what we'll be talking about here today. Let's pray. God, we ask that you will open our hearts and help us to be a church that is, in every sense of the word, authentic. That God, as we give, we give for your glory and that all the glory goes to you. I am thankful for this congregation and I do give thanks to you for all the ways that you've blessed this church. And I pray, God, in the days to come, you will take those blessings that uh, we have here and help us to use them for the glory of your kingdom. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This is one of those rare moments when we are uh, privileged to look at one of those heart of the gospel kind of passages. In fact, I would argue that these four verses at the heart of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we get the heart of God, through the heart of Jesus, and we're reading at the very heart of his sermon. That's a lot of hearts. We are at the very center of what it means to be a born-again believer, what that looks like, what that translates into in terms of how we live our lives. Listen, the world has had plenty of religions and philosophies and ways to live your life. But Jesus came to bring us more than just religion. It's okay to have things that are religious. In fact, when we sit at the Lord's table today, there will be certain forms and certain familiar ideas there that you've heard. If you've been a Christian for many years, maybe if you were born and raised in a church, you've seen the Lord's Supper many times. And depending on your tradition, you'll see some things here that are familiar. Other traditions do it a little different, of course. But that is kind of religious But what we want to say is that can't be uh, the beginning and end of our spiritual journey. We can do religious things, but we want our hearts changed by Jesus. I think that's what the gospel does. And our motives and the manner even of our giving, of our money, of our time, of our talents needs to be impacted by the gospel. But we see danger here. This passage has much to warn us about, about the dangers of our own heart about the dangers of being, quite frankly, inauthentic. As we think about this, good deeds detached from changed hearts will do no good. 
We're, we're not here to just say, hey, if you will give more and do more, God will take care of the rest. No, God wants to make sure that every motivation that causes you to give and to serve is pure and right and holy. I want to share with you just a few things here, and I want to be careful. I don't want it to come across as bragging. I hope that you understand that when it comes right down to it, your individual gifts, the right hand doesn't need to know what the left hand is doing. But what I've found is, is that in our church many times, because we're just big enough that sometimes people miss an announcement here or there, um, it's not because it's not there. I mean, we have it, Josh, brother. We, we get the announcements out. It's just that sometimes, I don't know what it is, we don't pay attention, but this is one of those things that's easy to miss. So let me just share a couple things and think of it as the way it is when you're sitting at the Thanksgiving table, maybe with your parents, and you want to share with them the good things that God has done. I want you to get it in that spirit. So the first thing I want to tell you is, is that last week uh, we challenged you, in fact, specifically Shayla challenged you to give to Defenders. In one Sunday, we took up over $15,000 to help with, with adoptions and fostering. Isn't that incredible? One Sunday, that money is going to go and help families who want to adopt. Also, I'll let you know that earlier in the year, we took up a very substantial, very large offering to get the kids that were in Ukraine to safety in Poland. We were able to do that. We spent a majority of those funds during those months when they were away from their home. As time went by, they were able to go back. But as you know, things are still very dangerous there in Ukraine. Even this past week, some stray missiles uh, made it even into Poland. So no one is safe in Ukraine. The Ukrainian government is now requiring that places like Children's Path, you met Nikolai a few weeks ago, that's him. He's the head, the leader, the founder of, of Children's Path. That organization has to have, and this is sad to say, but they have to have a bomb shelter because of the situation. Before Nikolai left, and I won't tell you how much it was, but we gave him the necessary amount of money to build a bomb shelter for those children. Isn't that awesome? And then also one more thing, and the reason I'm telling you this is, is because when it comes to generosity, the problem here at Ridgecrest, it's never about the gifts. We have the gifts. We've been blessed with people who are able to support the ministries here. And because of that, over the years, we've had reach around the world. You guys are doing that well. But I'm telling you these things uh, just to say, we've got some blessings. We want to make sure we're listening to Jesus and we don't mess anything up, okay? But let me share this with you. Just a few weeks ago, I shared with you that we had been able to take our debt from $783,000 to a little over 100000 just in a few weeks uh, because of the good stewardship of God's people here. But just, uh, just so you know, I was told officially Friday night that as of Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving this week, we will be completely debt-free. So that's all well and good. I'm very excited. In fact, the, the church uh, stood up to be counted there. We were able to go really above and beyond even what we needed to pay that off. We're going to use it to fix a few things around here. There's always something that's breaking around here in this building. But we will use it for good purposes. But the reason I wanted to share this with you today is not just to tell you what you've done, but I want to challenge you to do something big. Now that we don't have any debt retirement left to worry about, 
Next week starts Lottie Moon season. Let's give the biggest Lottie Moon offering our church has ever given. Amen. Lottie Moon goes to foreign missions. It's a complete gift outside of our church, and it goes to our denominational uh, missional uh, agency, the International Mission Board. Now that we have no debt, let's begin to give to the best of our ability for missions, for the needy in the world, and as we're going to talk about some more today, those who are most vulnerable, orphans and widows. I'm so very thankful for all that God has done here, but let me warn you, and as we have learned, the leaders, the elders, and the staff here at Ridgecrest, we have learned the hard way in the past few months, the devil has a unique hatred for the most vulnerable. I want you to know that when we put ourselves in a position of caring for the most vulnerable, the enemy is going to come after us. When Christianity is inauthentic, the devil will leave us alone. When Christianity is authentic and we're doing the things that Jesus would do, the devil is coming after us like a schoolyard bully. A schoolyard bully goes after the weak ones in the playground yard. And I believe that when we begin to really care for those who are being bullied by the world and bullied by the dark forces of this world, that's when we put ourselves in the position where we're going to get hit a few times ourselves. We're going to take some hits, but we must be ready for that. We must be tough enough to take it. We must be ready to do all for the glory of God, and we want to stay in our lane. We want to know what God has called us to do and be unapologetic about doing it. But listen to the warning. If we let our guard down even a little, the enemy will turn our good intentions against us. He is a master at taking us in a point of weakness and flipping the script on us. We have to prepare our hearts for the days ahead. God is doing great things at Ridgecrest, but we need to pray like never before. Don't think for a moment, when we come and tell you about great victories financially, don't think for a moment that money is going to get us out of these troubles. The only thing that's going to make this church great are, are, are the prayers of God's people, our faithfulness to the word, our willingness to give everything to Jesus. We must be authentic believers first and foremost. It's so important for us to get this. And I believe that God has a dream for this church. We can talk about debt elimination. We can talk about the money we give to missions and all those things. But here's the deal. God wants us to make sure that we are putting our resources in the place that, that, that Jesus would do the investing, where Jesus invested his time and energy. Let's make sure that we are doing just that. And in the, in the days ahead, I think we will together. Now, to get us on the right track, I want us to begin by contemplating together the inside nature of righteousness. If you look at verse 1, I think that's exactly what we're talking about here. What Jesus wants us to understand is that righteousness, biblically defined, has to be more than surface level. Now, in our culture, there's so much attention paid to surface level things. How do I know this? Well, two phenomenon, the Kardashians and TikTok. Because both of those things show us that people can be extremely successful and fabulously wealthy and have zero talent. You see what I'm saying? Our culture doesn't care about the heart our culture cares about the surface issues. Here's where I'm, I'm going to fill in the gap. I said, I want you to hear this. Our faith is radical. We have a radical faith. 
What's radical about it is, is we do not put, uh, we do not put stock, we do not put our faith in merely what is external, what people see. That's not everything. It's the inside stuff that matters. And it's important enough that Jesus begins this part of the sermon. The heart of this sermon is one word. It's the word beware. Beware. That is a word of great caution, urgency, and a need for alertness. Now, at our house, we have uh, we know a couple things uh, that are um, uh, indicative of being aware. I'll tell you a funny story. A few years ago, we were going home about this time of year. When we drive home, when Jenny and I drive home, we're driving into southern Illinois where uh, there are more deer than people. The only deer that I've ever killed was with my bumper because that's the way it is in southern Illinois, a lot of deer. And so we were driving one night, and we were going down the road, and my wife just yells out, oh, dear. Now, now I just took that as, you know, maybe she had a revelation or something like that. But no, there, there was a deer, okay? So, so beware, all right, oh, dear. But my favorite story is how my mom used to uh, behave when she would be in the car with me. I lived in a small town growing up. When Jenny and I were married, we moved down to Dallas-Fort Worth, the Metroplex, three million people. There are these super highways that go around that, that city. Some of them are six to eight lanes wide. I mean, you have to drive a little different in Dallas-Fort Worth than you did in Brookport, Illinois, let me tell you. And so I was whipping in and out of traffic and doing those things, and all I could hear from the back seat was my mother going what I call the sizzle. Now, the sizzle means I'm scared. The sizzle means beware, right? My mom is trying not to yell, but to say, watch out. So in a sense, beware is Jesus and his sizzle. He's trying to get our attention. He's telling us that we need to watch out for something. And what he's telling us to watch out for is our own hearts, the proclivity, uh, the way in which our hearts lean into uh, something less than God's righteousness. Notice he talks about righteousness and how we practice it. We need to understand that righteousness does have a look, but smart people can sometimes put the look on but not have the heart right. Jesus is warning us against that. He is telling us that we need to have an internal reality that matches our external expressions. So often in our meetings, when we have our, our leadership team together, our, our younger staff will talk about the, the generation that they are in. And one of the things we're noticing, and I think it's very true in the culture today, that younger generations are really paying attention to authenticity. They are seeing in their own peer group how inauthentic behavior is corrosive and damaging. And so I think this is something that we need to communicate, that when we are talking about giving, when we're talking about going on mission trips, when we're talking about ministry in any way, the inside and outside need to match. We need to make sure that our hearts are right. We must be light to the world. But we cannot be obnoxious with that light. I was thinking of it like this. At nighttime, when it's really dark this time of year, sometimes if you're driving and someone's coming at you and they have their brights on, it hurts your eyes, right? So think about this. The light of Christ should light your way. It should provide light for others, but it's not meant to blind others. 
I think sometimes when it comes to righteousness, we're trying so hard to let our candle burn bright that we, also, uh, we, we, we can become obnoxious in how we share. Our culture will not tolerate that. Our culture is not going to allow us to be obnoxious in that way. We need to be humble in how we share the light. And one of the ways that we can do that is to make sure we do not beat our own drum. We point people to Jesus. Giving glory to God must be our driving force. We do not want to bring attention to ourselves. We want to always bring attention to Jesus. Notice again, beware of, notice the word, practicing your righteousness before other people. I've been blessed over the years to have several friends that were medical doctors, and they talk about practicing medicine. Um, and they kind of joke about that. Well, I'm not a very good doctor because I'm still practicing medicine. Well, let me say this. As it, as it uh, relates to being a Christian, I've been a Christian a long time, but I feel like I'm still practicing righteousness. And I hope you are too. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and say, well, I listened to Jeremy's sermon yesterday, and so now I think I'm righteous. No, you're going to wake up tomorrow, and you're going to have the same fallen desires that you had this morning. And you're going to have to every day ask God to show you how to practice righteousness, how to be authentic inside and out, to find God's direction for your life. You have to have more than actions on the surface. You have to have hearts that are changed. And the reality is, for many, many centuries, listen to this, for many, many centuries, the church has failed because we have become as the Pharisees, and we have worked too hard to make the world think we're righteous when we haven't worked hard at all at being righteous. And Jesus warns that that is nothing to brag about. In fact, if you just have the surface level stuff inside are dead men's bones, that's what he says of the Pharisees. And I fear that the church has lost its way in Western culture because for too many years we were building bigger buildings, but we were not working on better hearts. And I want to say this, Ridgecrest, if we are going to reach the world for Jesus, it's not about building a bigger room here. It's not about expanding our footprint here in Springfield as far as what we do for ourselves. But we must be authentically changed inside and out. And we do that and show that by caring for the most vulnerable. Big churches in the Western world try to get bigger but we want to get better first. We want to make sure we're doing what Jesus has called us to do. And that's what I'm talking about, matching the inside with the outside. That our hearts and our drive is from Jesus. If we come to understand the inside nature of righteousness, we will tap into the eternal reward that comes along with it. I've been saying for the last few weeks, if we will care for vulnerable people, if we will care for widows and orphans, we won't have to worry about budgets. We won't have to worry about buildings. We won't have to worry about how many people are in the worship services. God will take care of those things. If those things become our focus, guess what? We will not care for the most vulnerable. But when we care for the most vulnerable, God's blessings will be here. His Holy Spirit will fill this place. And we will find purpose and we will find power in what we do for Christ. Now, here's the danger. It's the way of the hypocrite. Verse 2. Let me just read it to you. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, there is no um, 
absolute connection here in history. We see hints of it in, in ancient texts and descriptions of what was going on in the worship of the Jews in the first century and the centuries before. We think that Jesus is making reference here to a habit that developed in the Jewish faith, especially in the synagogues, where when a person of, of means, of wealth, would make a large contribution, they would have a trumpet player. So they'd have a bugle boy ready to sound the, uh, uh, the alert that someone had given a big gift. And the person, as they would bring their offering and give it to the Lord, the horn would sound and everybody in the community would look and see who the big giver was. And that person was looked at as a person of power and respect in the community. Jesus basically says here in verse 2, you are wasting your time. You have... You have received all the blessing in that moment, and you have ruined the blessing in an eternal sense. I think that's what Jesus is drawing our attention to. If that wasn't actually happening, then the metaphor is very obvious. And, and it's just simply drawing attention to your religious activities. You want people to know how much you give. You want people to know how great of a believer you are. Now, I'll pause here and say, I do not feel like this is an issue at Ridgecrest. I say this more as a warning than as a rebuke. But it is easy sometimes to think that, that, that what we do matters more than who we are. That is the definition of hypocritical. Putting on a mask. Trying to mask over unrighteousness. Because here's the deal. The hypocrite has something to hide. And the best way to hide moral failure is with outward righteousness. Down deep in your heart, you're like struggling and you know that there's something wrong, but you don't want people to know that. So what you do is you put on the image that everything's okay. And here's what I'm going to say to you, church. We are only going to be strong if we are, are authentic in how we approach God. If we are willing to confess our sins, that is when our sins are forgiven. We need brothers and sisters who are willing to not just be religious in their duties, but they are looking for God to change their hearts. We must give in the direction of God, in the direction of human need, but never in the direction of self. If we ever give for selfish reasons, we have done away with the value of the gift. If it's about us, then it cannot be about God. We can never give our way into heaven, but we give in the hope that the God of heaven will take our offering and use it to bring comfort and salvation to the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. I want our gifts to do more than make us feel good in the moment. We want gifts when they're given to make a difference in eternity. Giving is an important part of worship. Our gifts help us be participants in eternal things. But the way of the hypocrite finds that his gifts or her gifts stay in the moment and no more. This is a key idea. God wants us to give. Not everybody can open their homes to a vulnerable person, a, an orphan or a widow, but we can all give to things like the Defender Fund. We can all give to missions and to those uh, extensions of our hearts as we try to do work in the world. But we do this not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Or to put it another way, we don't toot our own horn. We, the only horn that, that we need to worry about is the trumpet of God that sounds when Jesus comes again. 
The only, that's the only trumpet we need to listen for is when Jesus is coming back again. Otherwise, we give and we give graciously and we expect God to do great things. Let us look finally at the reward of the Father as it is described in verses 3 and 4. Now let me warn you. The human heart is complicated. One of the lessons I've learned in the last 20 years is this. The biggest lies we tell are not to others, but to our own hearts. And if you look at these verses, verses 3 and 4, this is why Jesus says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Why does he say it that way? Why, why does he put it in those terms? I think this is why. When we give generously, we need to give with an open hand and an open heart. We don't want to put too much thought into it. Now, now let's just pause for a moment. I'm telling you to, to write checks and to not think about it too much. That's usually not good advice. No, not, not exact. I mean, I guess if I'm trying to get you to, to buy, you know, some, something that I have to sell you, right? I, I want you to, but I want you to realize this. There are times, and believers, you're going to have to, to believe me when I say this. Many of you will agree. There are times when you just get an impression on your heart that God is calling you to give so much to a certain thing. And, and, and it just kind of pops into your head. The more we put thought into that, the more apt we are to manipulate, speculate, ruminate, and then be unfaithful. The more we, we, we try to say, well, yeah, but God, um, that's where I think this not letting uh, one hand know what the other hand is doing goes. All God is saying is, be careful. Do the work. Give generously. Get out of God's way. I think that's what Jesus is telling us here. And this is why the giving needs to be in secret. Not in the view of people. It is critical to remember that your good works are never out of view. Out of the view of God. He can see it. So at the bottom line, is we need to remember this. That though no one in the world may know where you're giving and what you're giving to, God does know. And I believe, again, Ridgecrest is doing this well. But we are warned. Look at verse 3. Those words, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Those words in the original language are words of urgency. Like, like he, there's an exclamation point there. Don't do it. Don't overthink it. Just listen to the Spirit of God and then be faithful in your giving. Human pride is a great enemy of benevolence. Too often it is our pride that shifts us away from where God wants us to be. We begin to calculate and we literally write God out of the equation. Friends, we want to be a church, a church fully invested in caring for people. When I first came here, the elders in the church had given me a task to get us through the renew and refresh uh, process, which again, this room was refreshed. It was a very challenging thing to do. The first thing on the docket for me was to lead the church in that direction. Um, it was, you know, a, a three, three and a half million dollar project, if memory serves. That's, that's a lot of money, okay? Um, no pressure, Jeremy. We just need to get, you know, that going and get us across the line. Um, and then, you know, everything else you got to do, too. So um, we did it. And, and, and we put a program together and we brought it to the church. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I was really shocked. I kind of thought everybody was on the same page and they weren't. And I can't tell you how many conversations I had. And we, we lost church members because of it. I know this. 
But I, I, there was so much pushback, and we pushed it through. I, I do believe to this day that that's what God wanted us to do. And, and, but I learned a lesson, a valuable lesson, not just about my own heart, but about the heart of Ridgecrest. And I made a promise to myself, and I've talked about this to several of you as we've talked about it. It showed me where our hearts are. I really believe that this church, this church wants to be the kind of church that's making a difference in the kingdom of God. We don't need to invest in bigger buildings. We don't need to have the flashy things. Those, those are not at the heart of who we are. Where our hearts are, I believe I learned the lesson that God wants us to be a church that's, again, I don't know what other churches are doing. I don't care. I don't care what's popular. Whatever the other churches are doing that's working for them to make them big and, and blessed or whatever, I believe that God has called us to pour our resources into the most needy people in the world that we leverage our blessings for those who have none, that we sacrifice our time and our energy and our money to go to places that other people will not go. I'm here to tell you this summer, as at the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, as I went into Africa, I had heard about third world countries. I knew and had read a lot about, um, about poverty in places like uh, Africa, but to see it with my own eyes, I shared with the Wednesday night crowd, there was one of the ladies that we baptized, a lady who was in her 80s. I asked the missionary, just it popped into my head. I said, do you think that woman that I baptized who's in her 80s has ever slept one night under a roof in a controlled environment? And he said, oh no, she's never slept under a roof. All of those eight plus decades, she has lived basically in the wilderness under a tree, having maybe a few tarps or some corrugated metal as, as protection from the elements, and that's it. And I think about all the blessings we have here. I, that same lady, for most of her life, has had to walk 10 kilometers to a dirty river to get a few gallons of water, and then 10 kilometers back, 20 kilometers a day, just to have water. But because of the gifts and giving of, of not just our church, but our wonderful ministry partners, three wells have been dug there in that part of Kenya, two in West Pocot and another one in a place, I can't remember the name, Alan, you could probably help me, but we won't go there, uh, I'll mispronounce it. But nonetheless, we have dug three wells and been a part of that. And I'm going to tell you, God is showing me that when we give like that, when we give to people who have nothing, God will bless that. We need to be a people who just do it different. We are radical enough that our gifts, we are leveraging everything for the kingdom of God, everything for the glory of Jesus. I'm telling you, the only trumpet that matters is the one that sounds when Jesus comes back. So how is your heart? Because Jesus' standard is high. He's not asking you and me and this church to do average things. He's asking us to do big things. He's asking us to sacrifice our energy. Listen, going to Africa will take it out of you. My body has still not recovered from that. Going and giving may hurt, but we need to make sure that we are doing what God has called us to do and be unapologetic about it. Christianity is radical. God is calling us to do radical things for him. 
But first, Jesus demands a changed heart. It's not enough, brothers and sisters, to put it on the outside. Jesus needs to change you. You need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. The only way that you will care for the vulnerable is if you give it all to Jesus first. A changed heart. Only then can you give a complete sacrifice that you can give your best to Jesus instead of your best to yourself. And then Jesus declares you righteous when you put your faith in him. That's what matters. Put your faith in Jesus. And then he will change you and help you change the world. You know, the Father, we give in secret, but he sees in secret. He knows who we are. We can't put on airs and get away with it. We must be authentic. And I believe, I believe Ridgecrest, I believe we are in a place now, we have learned some valuable lessons, not just in the past four years, but in the last nearly 40 years. God has taught us some very valuable lessons. And we can now go forward and care for orphans and widows, the most vulnerable, the most impoverished, the people who are being taken advantage of. We don't need to go to Africa, by the way. The ministry we're doing up in the Dakotas, there is some of the poorest and most great need just up north. Just within a 10-hour drive of us, we have incredible poverty, incredible pain, and we need to not turn a blind eye to it. We are not going to sit around here with with bank accounts flush with cash when there are people out there hurting and starving. We have to find a way to show Christ and Christ alone that we believe that our calling is to the little ones, the vulnerable ones. I think this passage is a cry out, a beware, but a cry out to authenticity. And it's time, church, that we surrender our hearts to that. How can we surrender in such a way? Well, the Lord's table is a great place to start where we put everything that is wrong with our hearts aside and we sit at the table with Jesus. Before we have this Lord's Supper together, you'll have an opportunity to come and pray and to prepare your heart. I want to challenge you to do that. Get right before you get to the table. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.